Geek Top 5, Season 5. I'm so happy you're here. I'm happy to be here. <laughs> this is so exciting. Geek Top 5. I'm Jesse. I'm Graham. And we've got a lot to go over today, so I'm not going to bury the lead. We are talking Season 2 of Star Trek Lower Decks. Maybe the best Star Trek? Uh, Hard to say, but uh, (laughs) certainly something that we're enjoying. And of course, Graham and I aren't going to do that just on our own. We have brought in our fellow Super Trekkers uh, to really make this work. You know from our previous episodes in this matter, we've got Mr. Dave Clark. Hello. And we've got... Uh, Ms. Zinni. <laughs> That's me. <laughs> and Mario, apparently. Uh, <laughs> so why don't we dive right into this? The first episode of season two was called Strange Energies, and it was directed by Jason Zurich and written by the showrunner Mike McMahon. Uh, in it, the first officer of the Cerritos uh, gets... Uh, hit with a bunch of like alien stuff and becomes uh, a all power mad God and uh, has to be repeatedly kicked in the crotch in order to return to his regular size and lose his power. And uh, the B plot is that uh, Tendi thinks Rutherford is weird after getting his, uh, his memory lost and his implant replaced. And so she tries desperately to fix him. So this is the the first one back uh, after the the break from season one. And it's just it's amazing that how much like a lot of this could just be a Star Trek episode. Right. But it's all the touches and details that don't show up in a plot synopsis that uh, that really make it. Um, The idea of Ransom having a really big head, I think, is a very, you know, that kind of thing is a very on the nose thing for the character. But just the way the characters respond to this, I think this episode was Lower Decks coming back in style. Absolutely. It was a lot of fun. <clears throat> I um, I mean, I, I really liked the sort of the, the, the outright, uh, you know, referral to, to Gary, Mar- uh, Gary Mitchell from, from TOS. Right. Uh, it, you know, they brought it up. The, uh, the doctor there uh, refers directly to it. Um, the gag about strange energies, you know, that's like, it's uh, it's the some kind of from Voyager, right? Like it's the, it's some kind of strange energies. It's totally, totally Star Trek. Um, you know, kicking him in the nuts. I don't know if that solution. That's the neutral I, zone. No. <laughs> it's the neutral zone. Remember? Exactly. I don't know if I love that as the solution. I think it was that, that felt cartoony in that moment all of a sudden i felt like oh yeah this is a this is a comedy cartoon come back come back come back come back but uh overall totally loved it to to me it felt uh, a bit more uh, like a just just a bit more of the same from the first season which mm-hmm. is fine but the the end of the first season it ended on such a high like the last 3 or 4 episodes of that season they all all the episodes felt really good and really individual and unique and this kind of felt like a bit of a backslide to me it mm-hmm. felt like we were back to the real like friendship quests between the characters and um especially Tendi and uh, Rutherford and it was uh, so it was okay 
to me. Um, the best part was the at the end of the episode, there was a cut to Boimler on the USS Titan being completely overwhelmed by all the ridiculous action stuff that was going on on Riker's ship. There was also, I mean, there was a lot of humor that kind of slid us nicely into the start of the new season because it wasn't just being kicked in the neutral zone, but Dr. (laughs) Kana also goes on about, I have to go find a boulder. And then sure enough, right at the end, he gets crushed by the boulder the same way that Gary Mitchell did. So, and my favorite line I laughed out loud was when Boimler was supposedly captured by the Cardassians in the Hollow program. As Mariner runs by not rescuing him, he calls after her, you have to save me. They keep showing me lights. And that was just a great callback. Fantastic. Yeah, that opening sequence is really good, too. Yeah, I think that's like, I think what you're talking about in this episode, Graham, I think that was a deliberate choice because it's definitely bookended by those two things. Like it got kind of DS9 at the end of season one, right? A lot of action, a lot of excitement, maybe more Trek movie than DS9. And what this did is it opened with those super high stakes prison breakout thing and it ends with what's going on on the Titan. But in the middle of it, the Cerritos is just doing, you know, next gen stuff. They're going to oh, strange original new series worlds. stuff. Or original series stuff. Yeah. The giant head eating the, the Cerritos was also a callback to the Apollo episode on the original series where it was a giant hand yeah. grabbing. <laughs> yeah. So I mean that was also cute. Yeah, original series is always filled with angry gods that have to be defeated and angry (laughs) computers and sometimes angry computer gods. And the characters in this show know that. Like, they're immediately like, oh, yeah, this is a Gary Mitchell situation. Tiana's like, yep, I got to go get a boulder. Like, the way (laughs) they are not surprised by this anymore. Mm -hmm. It's just that, like, it's sort of the same Mm -hmm. way in the first episode of season one with the the zombie outbreak. And at the end, Tendi asks him about the, like, did the zombie thing, like, no, that happens all the time. That isn't what ruined the date. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, they all take it as a part of their history lessons, you know? Yeah, it would be, it's, yeah, it's totally normal to them. I I feel like that was done very deliberately. And maybe it's sort of a setup for what's happening in the next episode. But I really appreciated that contrast. Also, totally tiny thing, does not matter, but just for the ship buffs, in the prison breakout, the Miranda class that Mariner takes out, which has the, like, 24th century upgrades, like, that looked really cool. I really mm-hmm. liked the design of that, like, with the fancier nacelles and stuff. It just split-second thing doesn't matter, but for super dorks, like, you know, thumbs up to somebody at the art department there. Also, with ten, the Tenby focus on Rutherford's implant, I mean, that actually does mean something as we get later into the season, especially in the last episode. Well, that's a yes. good point. Yeah, they're laying a lot of groundwork there. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And another subtle thing that I think carries on, I don't know if it was in the first season, too. I may have to go back and watch, but Dr. Ta'ana seems like a big original series fan. Oh, yes, absolutely. Consistently. And because right, she's yeah. Bones, right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like that's clearly who she's patterned on, and I suspect like the character knows that, especially like she, like, in the season finale. Oh, but throughout, she's yeah. Yeah. just the cranky medical mm. person. Like, it, it, what is it? The, I think in the first episode, it's nobody's allowed to pass out. Nobody's authorized to pass out. That was yeah. it. Like she's always <laughs> yes. been like doing the DeForest Kelly, you know, rather than any of the other doctors. That yeah, yeah. that comes up a lot. Oh, and totally not subtle, but also Tendy's like medical shotgun thing. That was a lot of fun. <laughs> yes, yeah, that was good. Uh, but yeah, no. I, I, on the whole, for, like for a, a welcome back to lower decks, I thought it was great. Yes. Yep. 
Yeah. Dave, I feel like we may have uh, talked over you there for a second. No, I'm good. Okay. Let's move on to episode two. It's called Kayshawn, His Eyes Open, directed by Kim Arndt and written by Chris Kula. We get a new chief of security after the death of uh, Shax in the season finale. And this is uh, one uh, an alien from the species from the episode Darmok, where they they speak in metaphor. And so that it leads to a lot of hilarious shenanigans. They meet a collector who has collected a bunch of, or who is dead and they have to catalog all his weird stuff. And it sets off traps on the ship that they have to fight. And meanwhile, the B plot is Boimler and an away team with the Titan get stuck on this mining planet. And, uh, Boimler has a transporter accident freeing everyone as he realizes that, being part of the crew that's all action isn't what he wanted, and he wants to be on a more Enterprise D-style ship. But he gets split in two and gets to have it both ways. Oh, so much to... Yeah. Like, oh God, if, this, if this one was a short story, the footnotes on this would be longer than the text of the, the, text <laughs> of the script. May I, say, may I say I was so proud that I understood every single Tamarian phrase they used. <laughs> <laughs> Tamarian, that's the name of the species. Yeah. Also occasionally referred to as the children of Tama, but I mean, yeah. that's probably how they would say it in Mary <laughs> yeah, metaphor speak. Exactly. And, but you'll notice that they've <clears throat> now got the universal translator able to, to translate it into to Mary. Oh, sure. Yeah. It's been what, 20 years since first, like since Picard and uh, Picard and Dathan at Eladrell. And you'll notice Kayshawn is wearing the Samar- ceremonial knife in his sash. Yeah. Very nice. Yeah. Do we need to, like, do we need to talk a little bit about Darmok? Like, is that, Sure, give us a give us the nickel tour. Oh gosh, yeah, okay, yeah. Let's let's do that. Uh, arguably, one of the best episodes of Star Trek: The Next Generation. Um, the a, a very hard sci-fi concept where they're trying to meet this alien race who only communicate in metaphors. So, like their translator is working, so they hear the words, but they don't understand any of it. And they have to figure out like that those like you know that the species is communicating through allegory. Um, Picard and the captain of this Temerian ship are stranded on this alien planet. It turns out as part of the captain's like brilliant plan to build friendship through adversity it is it's the kind of sci-fi that you don't get very often these days when sci-fi mostly just means lasers and spaceships like it was actually a what here's a cool thing that didn't happen on earth but what if it happened elsewhere and it's one of the more hmm i don't want to say intellectual because that sounds snobby but it's one of the more what are the episodes that focuses more on thinking than it does on like captaining or phasering uh, so it has a like a soft spot in the hearts of us all. And as soon as we got the title of the episode, it was immediately obvious what they were doing. <laughs> I was really looking forward to this because I would like I, I I mean let's well, spoiler alert for the next few episodes. I was disappointed that Kayshawn doesn't show up as much as he wants because I feel like that character and that just conceit is a gold mine that they have not even begun to scratch the surface of. Totally agree. Um I mean, you know, he ends up being played for comedy and he disappears pretty quick when they're on this collector's ship. Uh, well, tell them how he could disappear. Though. That's <laughs> hilarious. Right. So they go, they go, their, 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 their job on this, in this episode is to go to a, a ship of a collector and catalog it and, and rescue or disarm any issues that, that might arise in their, in their sort of, collecting of this ship and it turns out Keishan, uh gets turned into a rag doll a puppet a, a puppet yeah and uh well 
we don't get to hear from him, but that leads <laughs> to um, to to Mariner and uh, guest ensign Jet Manhaver or something. <laughs> it's a great name. I know uh, uh, to to come to to butt heads over over uh, style command styles when then when in the end both of them need to listen to Tendy and Rutherford. You know, and it, it, this episode also chock full of uh, 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 Easter eggs for for longtime Trekkies. Uh, giant Spock's skeleton is has been collected. Um, Kalis's fornication helmet has been collected. Uh, is that a real thing? I thought that was just for the the episode. No, it's not a real thing. Okay. <laughs> well, it, I mean, it is now. Yeah, <laughs> true. But you know, attendees lied. It's like yeah. Kayla's fornication helmet. Oh, okay. Safety first. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, given what we do know about Klingon sex from from uh, Next Gen and DS9, it's, a helmet is probably advisable. Wise choice. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But we all let's not also forget the the uh, conclusion that Boimler comes to, um, where he he's on one of those death defying missions on the Titan, and he says, "I don't, I didn't join Starfleet to get into phaser fights. I joined to explore." Mm-hmm. And you know, being in Starfleet isn't just about kicking ass, and he saves the day with science and ingenuity, mm-hmm. and a strong memory goes. of you know all the next generation <laughs> episodes, like and a fantastic scream. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Well, and they also dismiss the Enterprise D. I mean, they all make fun of it because it has daycare centers and string quartets. I thought that was a riot. Yeah, I, I, you know, we Boimler's arc. You know, that is really nice resolution. Really nice way to get him back without him feeling sad about it. I didn't think they had to uh, demote him back down to Ensign. That seems a bit <laughs> yeah. mean, but. Uh, but I, I like that move on Boimler's arc. I was a little disappointed that you know that how they were treating Mariner. They felt like more of the same for Mariner. Mm-hmm. Didn't feel like growth there. I mean, in the end of the episode, she grows, but it's the same growth that she has at the end of the episode in the first season when she's fighting ransom over who gets to fight for the captives. Right? Like it's you know I think we've definitely seen this arc for her before. Yeah. Yeah, we talked about that for season one as well. A lot of it focuses on Mariner sort of being like a lousy Kirk. Yeah. Um, and I think they did better with that in this season than they did in season one, where there's a lot of really heavily Mariner-focused episodes. Yeah. Um, and it's arguable, like, you're t- like it's arguable that her or Boimler really are the main character, and it's hard to say which. Um, but yeah, they, they definitely tripped over that a couple of times in this season also, although it does come to a head. Yeah, I would say Mariner is the clear main character, but everyone in this season anyway, I feel like everyone got a better chance to shine and and be the 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 uh protagonist for at least uh, a plot or two. I agree. Um yeah. yeah. Take notes, Discovery. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Oh, and the last one of the last lines in this when they, when they have to explain what happened to their Tamarian officer. And she just holds him up to the screen and says, Kayshawn, when he became a puppet. <laughs> and when he when he's in sickbay and there's the sign on him, the handwritten <laughs> sign, I am yes. not a doll, do not play with me. Yes. <laughs> it was amazing. Within like hours of the episode airing, people had stitched up their Dolls. own puppets. It was yeah. great. Yeah. 
Yep. We should probably move on, but I mean, I think we'll just insert as a placeholder that, yes, there are a million Easter eggs in this episode, thanks to the collector's booths. Every single thing they have is from an episode or a series or a movie or something somewhere. And the whole this... thing is based on the episode with Saul Rubinick. Yep. Yeah, yeah, uh, yes. Kivas Fajo. But just like this one, I like if you if you, like it was perfectly functional as an episode of television. But if you don't have that Star Trek history, you're missing half the jokes. Yes. So in a, in a way, it's like the Temerians. You know, you have to know this referencing language of Star Trek in order to fully appreciate the episode. That's exactly where I was going. Damn it! I, I stole it. Sorry. <laughs> no, no. You, it's great minds. I just I'm curious. I would love to talk to the writers and to Mike McMahon and just ask if that was sort of a meta narrative in it that if you don't have this you know, the the species history the trekkers <laughs> history that you're missing a lot of important context that's fun okay so episode three is called we'll always have tom paris it's directed by bob suarez and written by m willis this one has three plots tendy and uh, mariner have to go on a mission to collect a special family heirloom for dr taana uh Rutherford f- sees that Shax is alive and no one's talking about how he's back to life and is she's he's got to find out how he's back to life and Boimler is back on the ship but his access codes haven't been activated properly so doors won't open for him he refuses to ask for help and ends up uh, causing big problems crawling through the sh- ship trying to meet his hero Tom Paris and get him to sign his plate this was one of my favorite episodes of the season I loved this episode I I got hung up on one thing. It really bothered me that Shax was back and there was no explanation. And I know that was the point, but I was that like, was Rutherford great. was just like, no, I need to know because this is not fair to Kayshawn. And if you're going to bring this guy back, you have to explain it we better for me. We don't tell anyone how we come back because knowing <laughs> changes you forever. Tell me, change me. I need <laughs> to know. Yeah, so you're Rutherford and, uh, and, and I'm Mariner. Like, yeah, bridge crew all always come back yeah and they do that quick rundown of yes, like from all the other episodes yeah it could be a near universe switcheroo or it could be like an alternate timeline sun like half romulan sun like they, they do the whole thing of every instance <laughs> where a character died and came back and it's like yeah this is totally normal this is life in starfleet uh and that's fun it's a good way to ask about this episode are you a rutherford or are you a mariner yeah <laughs> I, I, I also want to know how he came back because they always have a sci-fi explanation, right? But what is it, you know? And I, and just from a storytelling point of view, I, I just don't like that Kayshawn gets immediately sidelined in, in his second episode. Yeah. Okay, that's true. I, I missed him. But, yeah. but the, the whole plot of the girls' trip, I never enjoyed. <laughs> that was absolutely – that car chase was worthy of a Bond movie. I, and watching Tendi become the mistress of the winter constellations is fabulous. <laughs> yes. Yeah, I have that in my notes. Like, like, you're frustrated that they don't explain how Shax gets back? I'm thinking, what's up with Tendi? Like, they have dropped a lot of juicy tidbits on this. Apparently, she was someone important in the Orion Syndicate, someone with authority. Yeah. Like, there is so much backstory to explore there, and they just skim the top of it. Just to let you know that it's there and then we're off again. And I'm dying to find out more about that. That's yeah. what they want you to do. That's exactly what they want from you. And then sometime in season six, it'll come back. Exactly. <laughs> 
We'll get it. I gotta ask. So I think it's very lower decks that like the guest star in this one was Tom Paris. Because I'm not a huge Voyager guy. (laughs) Good line. Uh, I'm not a Voyager fan anyway. And of them all, Tom Paris is not my favorite character. Mm -hmm. Uh, So I do feel like it's kind of appropriate, like in lower deck sense, that like that's the celebrity they're getting. That's Boimler's hero. Yeah, it was like the almost nobody. I just wanted to check with everyone else. Uh, I I don't know if we have any huge Voyager fans on this panel right now. Maybe we should call to Joel for a quick five minuter. But was anyone excited to see Tom Paris, or was, was. that sort of the point? No, yeah, I, I was, was too. Yeah, totally. I thought he would have done better than just lieutenant by the time he got. To yeah, that doesn't. He's a he's a slacker. It totally doesn't surprise me. I'm surprised he's still lieutenant. And hasn't been busted down to ensign. Again. Yeah, well, he, he did once. get busted down. I know. Yeah, I, yeah. Yeah. yeah, I'm doing a lower deck thing. Making <laughs> uh, but I, I was excited to see him. I, I always liked the performance of Tom Paris better than the character of Tom Paris. Like, every single thing they introduce about him in the show bugs me. But I find that the actor, Robert Duncan McNeil, he's I, he's got a charm to him. I like him. I, I, and I want him to have a chance to shine in the way that Riker gets to shine. But uh, he doesn't get many opportunities. But I thought he was good in this. And I love when when the, the disheveled Boimler falls through the ceiling of the bridge. And oh, uh, Tom on <laughs> and tackles him. It was amazing. Yeah. And, well, and on really that girl's trip, we get to when they they are trying to hide out as a Ryan, on Orion. And they tell her we're on Orion pirate outpost. So Mariner turns around and starts talking like a pirate. Yep. I thought that was great. They end up meeting Nausicaans. Yep. Yeah. I mean, that was also great. And playing Dom Jut, yep. And then she crashes the shuttle into the ship as an excuse to, as to why that heirloom is broken. And then <laughs> well. tries to claim a beacon in the shuttle. <laughs> <laughs> and then great. gets taken to the brig. They, no, take the bee to the brig. Yeah. So good. Fantastic was um, so the end of the first episode, uh, she's in the brig. Uh, and then in the end of this episode, she's in the brig, and the little sketch with the the dates marking how long she's been in the brig has yes. progressed. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, it was just man. a joy from the beginning to end. I I also you know when they get the box back with the heirloom and the heirloom's broken, but Tana doesn't care and she just starts she like crawling the around the box. I really like all the cat jokes with her yes. so far. As a as a cat lover, yes. <laughs> Okay, should we move on? Yeah, let's move on. Episode four, Mugatu Gumato, directed by Jason Zurich and written by Ben Rogers. Uh, the crew goes down to a planet where there's all these, uh, the Mugatu from the one episode of the original series, these uh, white horned ape aliens, and uh, they're endangered. They, these Ferengis are, are killing them and selling their horns, and uh, Mariner is doing her usual Mariner stuff and Rutherford and uh, Boimler are convinced that she's a secret agent and they're terrified of her. So they are as uh, afraid of her as they are of the Ferengis who are trying to capture everyone. And then uh, Tendi, her, her B plot is that she's on the Cerritos trying to do medical scans of the people who've been avoiding medical scans. And the last one is Dr. Tana and there's a chase scene and she breaks her arm and that's her opportunity to, to scan uh, Dr. Tana when she's, she's taken off guard that Tendi's actually hurt. 
So yeah, I don't think I, that was a great summary, but it's a, uh, it's a big episode with lots of moving pieces. Um, I really like this one, but uh, in our group text, I was uh, the odd man out. I think. Yeah, uh, yeah. There, there was the big um, storyline about the dichotomy between action ver- between um, the scene of them in the Hollow program where she beats the crap out of Boimler and Rutherford, while they are in another scene playing a game called Diplomat, where the goal is to negotiate a compromise. And they. And and they do it like okay, Mariner solves problems through violence, and Boimler and Rutherford solve problems through. But who fixes the Ferengi problem? Dorkiness. Well, yeah, exactly, yeah. and that's what it comes out in the end with a cost-benefit analysis, resulting <laughs> <laughs> in greater profits. It's the perfect way to deal with the Ferengi. Oh, yeah. notice they were using the whips, by the way, that we saw in first uh, season of uh, Next Gen. Yeah. yeah, whenever you have a bad guy Ferengi, they have to be the the classic 1988 Ferengi. And, and I think then, Mariner says that line, like she says, like a last resort type Ferengi, like yes. referring to the title of the episode, which even for lower decks, I think is pushing <laughs> the fourth wall a little, but but fine. We get yeah. it. The outpost, I think is what it was called. Yes. True. But um, I, I think the thing for me that it just felt like a, a bridge too far was was the 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 uh Mugatu uh the mating the mating sequence that's this yeah. is where it starts yeah yeah, and, it, yeah was, and it's I mean technically it starts in the last episode with Tana's libido post but I mean it's mostly played up it, it's it, yeah. it, it's mostly it, alluded to yeah, yeah exactly I think you get the idea and it's and they kind of have a funny joke about it when they're pushing it around in the shuttle but it's fine. But this episode really started where the writers were like, let's let's get a lot more sexy fun time into Star Trek. And I don't think they did it badly, but it did feel like necessary. Just it does. The tone doesn't feel right. I don't know. It was like peanut butter flavored toothpaste. Like were they trying to be Family Guy or South Park? Like, is that what they were trying to do? I'm not sure. Rick and Morty or Rick and Morty. Yeah, but I think I don't I don't know that they were trying. I think they were looking for the edge and they went just a hair too far because I think as we've discovered like talking about sex in the show works and 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 showing it you, you know this is where we sort of find a, a, a tonal disconnect, right? Like it's it uh in the same way, you know, the the famous uh fully functional uh <laughs> Programmed in multiple techniques is, oh. <laughs> is, is a bridge. Yeah. If, you, if you know they 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 get away from it by using you know they're all drunk. Who cares? But um, you know that always felt like you know that's not the tone of the show in the best seasons in season three and four. It's not that's not the tone of, of TNG in yep, the same way exactly. here. That this is not the tone of the show. This is this is it's 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 too far it's it's a step it's it's a step past and i think even if they had just left the last gag out the the i think he likes to watch i think i think that would have been i think we everybody would have been a little that would have like been enough it's a funny joke but it's not star trek i agree with all of this and i i cannot argue it except to say that i was laughing so much at the jokes that it was hard for me to 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 hold it against them but i agree it, uh, and the especially going through them like this and going through them in quick succession and when reviewing there's a lot of sex jokes in this season that and i don't know if i, I i'm gonna need to rewatch season one and see if they were there too but it feels are new not. to this season no <laughs> i is, don't remember that at all yeah 
Yeah, it is very new to this season, and like not counting um, Burnham and what's his name, half Klingon guy in Disco. It's mostly new to Star Trek. Like well, the original series is full of. It's, it's full it's of not Kirk, explicit. Like, it's not. It's very not explicit. Like it's not even shocking for the sixties. It's. I don't know how to describe it. I want to say like a Casablanca kiss, but it's yeah, not. One foot on the floor kisses. Yeah, maybe. <laughs> well, like Roddenberry always had weird hangups, and and the original series does have weird stuff like Mud's women and. Um... Well, but I mean, Mud's women again—it's all implied and off camera. Like in, in this, like when they're in the the log, right. and oh, the log is shaking because they're banging right against it. It's kind of like, okay, guys, like that's way that's that's more than enough. Yeah, it. I, I don't know. I, it, I, I mean, yeah. Again, I thought it was a funny situation, but I, I, I was uncomfortable watching it. Like, not because I'm a prude, but because it didn't feel right. It just, it, it felt like, it felt like someone else was writing it and didn't really know what they were doing because that doesn't belong there. Right. Yeah. Like, there's nothing wrong with the, you know, and it's, it's in this case, and you know, we're gonna, we're gonna talk about some more sex later in the season, but in this case. It's unnecessary for the story. They hide, yeah, and then they're, they're and the animals are right outside, and they're distracted. Whatever, like that is that is the thing the story needs, and you can find that there are other jokes available to you. And you then a lot of those, blue, right? Like, and a lot of the other stuff, like they run into that Tellerite Steve Irwin, who like they have a few jokes, <laughs> and then he's immediately killed. And there's a whole C or maybe D plot with the guy who fakes his ship getting destroyed, and Mariner's trying to not Mariner, I'm right? Saying, is trying to bribe him off, which we didn't even mention. Like this one, I don't know. Maybe they were struggling for stuff to put in this one because this one didn't feel entirely baked. I did like uh, what is it, uh, uh, Katingi, something like that. I I did like that character, the weird Australian uh, uh, got to adventurer. Yeah, Tellerite. <laughs> Uh, I, I, I like the accent. I like his confidence, and then his the almost immediate demise. Uh, I enjoyed his little shtick. Yeah, I think I liked him better than, you know, like better than some other sort of like one-off gags. Like it worked. I thought it worked fine, but. I also like the old man bartender who was uh, spreading all the rumors and getting all the gossip, Otis. Uh, yeah. Yeah. And don't, yeah. And don't forget that what Mariner did for Boimler and Rutherford. Oh, she's spreading rumors about them? Yeah, yeah to, get, to that... get their uh, profile raised. Yeah. And of course, she just whispered it to the bartender because she knew he would spread it around. You tell it to everybody, yeah. yeah. And the, the, his off-camera boss being like, "Otis, we need this. If you don't want to work in the bar, don't work yeah. in the bar." Bringing uh, to the forefront the whole idea of how how labor works in in the Federation when there's no money. Yeah. Okay. Well, let's jump ahead to episode five, An Embarrassment of Duplers, directed by Kim Arndt and written by David. Eilenfeld and David Wright, or Dave and David. So this one, they're escorting a an emissary named a Dupler, or from the species of the Duplers, to a uh, to Starbase Twenty Five. There's also going to be a party happening there. Um, 
Boimler and Mariner are trying to sneak into the party and are having a bunch of trouble. And Tendi and Rutherford are working on rebuilding a model ship. And uh, then, unfortunately, the Dupler has a habit of when it's embarrassed, splitting in two. And uh, once it splits in two, it's embarrassed about having split in two. And it just keeps splitting and splitting and causing a potential disaster on the on the Cerritos. Is the Dupler storyline the A storyline? I, I didn't care about it at all. I loved the B storyline. I, I would say the Dupler, like, it starts out, it's introduced that way, but I think Mariner and Boimler are definitely the A-plot in this one. And they, they they have some development, and I I mean, I don't know if I'm cutting off your episode description, Graham, but, no, like, beginning to end of this one, I was touched by this episode. Good, I really too. like this one. Good, yeah. me too. I think yeah. that this is a great microcosm of a lot of relationships for a lot of characters in Lower Decks. I think a lot happens. There's some development, and it's it's amazing how much they cram into 25 minutes. But another great end, car chase, too. Another yes. great car chase. Uh, but I, man, I would never go down the stairs. <laughs> uh, but like this one had impact on the characters. Like, like nothing dr- like terribly dramatic. Nobody grows a third arm or anything, but they grow. Everybody grows in this one. Yes. And I thought it was really great. In addition to a lot together. of jokes that I love. I mean, like the, the, the data bubble bath and like some of them are wars. <laughs> and you can look grinning. at Yeah. One's <laughs> grinning in the shot. Like, like it's definitely lores in there. And there's also, we see, I mean, Quarks is now franchised, which I yeah. love. Yeah, and yeah I think that was first teased in Picard, maybe? There yeah, was a... Really? I didn't notice that one. I yeah, there was, a quarks, there was a Quarks in Picard. Huh. Um, the other part of the Dupler plot was the, uh, Rutherford and Tandy are building a... Yes, a the model. model Cerritos. With working phasers and workhorse. <laughs> yeah, a working model, a working scale model. And the, the tiny cool. little mariner bullying tiny little Boimler in the in, the, in 10 forward or the gap <laughs> or whatever. Yep, yep. And don't forget uh, the DS9 model comes with Ezri and Jadzia. <laughs> yes, exactly. And so but the sort of the, the outcome of that is that... Uh, Tendi tell lets Rutherford know that he never finishes the model uh, in, before he lost his memory because it's their time together. They sort of you know make time yes. to do it, and so that's why he can't do it now. It's he he's, he can't figure out these notes he's left to himself is because they are not they're not real. They're just here to help him figure out or help him uh, help him spend more time with Tendi. stretch the time out. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, this uh, whole season really very carefully, very slowly leaning into a Rutherford Tendy thing. A hundred percent. Yeah, but, very slowly. But yeah, impressively but slowly. Like I think yeah. it's being handled well that yes. it's just slowly growing. I don't uh, think they're gonna go there. I think it's all friendship. And I, I think that I think that they're going to subvert your expectation that they get together. That would be very like that would be very Rutherford and Tendy for sure. I can like I can absolutely see that. Yeah. The, the other thing, speaking about the growth and and the development for all the characters in this, just uh, stepping back to the Mugatu episode, 
the relationship between Mariner and the guys, uh, Boimler and, and Rutherford there, that felt very season one too. Like, Oh, we don't trust her. And no, what is she? It's like by the end of season two, I feel like the, the dynamic, the friendship was so was solidified, but in this one, it kind of undoes all that. Well, they see her stab Shex right after (laughs) they hear the rumor. That's true. Not understanding that she was trying to save him from Mugatu poison, but I mean, it all just fit all of a sudden. Right. Yeah. All right. But this one definitely felt like the, this Dupler's episode definitely felt like it moved that story along. And the, the party for all the captains, once you see what's going on there, that also had a lot of fun Easter eggs. Like uh, Captain Elizabeth Shelby and her first yep. officer were there and the DJ is the outrageous Okana. Yeah. And the and let's Okada's not forget, in there? That's outrageous. <laughs> the touching moment of seeing the Kirk and Spock carve their names into the bar. That was nice. Yeah, yeah I like that too. The 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 background of that scene is all uh all everything in that bar is 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 an Easter egg, is a memorabilia. Yeah. The Phoenix, uh, Cisco's solar sailor, like a whole bunch of the 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 doomsday eating whatever the the giant the giant space slug from the original the series. doomsday yeah. machine yeah yeah there's uh, a, a great moment that I joke during the car chase that I I think I only caught on second viewing and it's it's great for subverting expectations they're they're driving and well, Boimler throughout the whole car chase is just saying what he's seeing or saying what they're driving through which I enjoyed but he also uh they they like almost run over these fish people and he goes fish people and one of them shakes their fist and says we're not people and I <laughs> <laughs> Such an e- would have been so easy to just go with. We're not fish, but that's obvious. It's uh, yeah. <laughs> people that I really enjoyed. So okay, so I wanted to just call something forward. So you've got this. They've got the contraband, which is Klingon weapons in this in this uh, in this buggy that they're driving around under the bubble bath. Yeah. Under the bubble bath. <laughs> uh, do you think that these Klingon weapons are going to the packlets? Yes. Okay. I think that was the the, yeah, yeah. the entire season. They're very slowly. Like, yeah. like if you watch it again after seeing the end, like yeah, there's Klingon stuff all over the place. Yeah, yeah. And then in the first episode or the second episode, rather, um, when Boimler's on his uh, away team mission, the the those packleds have Klingon weapons already. Mm. Yeah, the disruptors. It's, yeah. yeah, that's this has been happening. It's it's surprising how much. Well, maybe not because it's coming from the guys who did Rick and Morty. They're 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 very good at leaving little breadcrumbs that eventually build up into something fancy. But they do that here. The, the Klingon connection is never discussed, but always hinted at. If you know where to look for it, there's always stuff like that there. Yeah, yeah. So the the Dupler um, Richard Kind, I thought he was. Particularly well suited to to oh this, yeah he uh, does panic character. better than anybody <laughs> yeah um, so funny I thought maybe even underutilized because often he's talking over himself and you can't really get the sense of like the actual lines like it's it's very busy but uh, he's so good special bonus points awarded to the scene of the bridge crew when they have to be rude to the dupler yes. and they're not all great at it, but just, I mean, Tana, it's just a series of bleeps, which was hysterical and fits her perfectly. But that Shax's line is something like your paw is weak and it disgusts me. <laughs> and it kind of goes, I don't even know what that is, but I don't like your tone. <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> yeah, so I mean, the only problem I had with this episode was that it feels like the Dupler, the idea of the Dupler, the whole species feels in, in, like impossible. Like, it was it a little weak. It, like it, it, the conceit is impossible, you know? Anyway. I mean, like, but, you know, gangster planet. <laughs> like, it's, it's like Nazi I, planet, Nazi yeah. planets. Nazi planets, plural, Nazi aliens. Female dominated planets. Outrageous! <laughs> 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 it's unbelievable. <laughs> that there aren't more. <laughs> I mean, they also brought back, which we'll talk about, but the alien from the animated series who splits into three, like the legs and the torso and the oh, head right. move around That's independently. Like, yeah. at, like it's Star Trek. I'll, I mean, whatever. giant Spock. <laughs> I mean, you want to get right down to it, like, like who drives the buses on Kronos? Like, are there brave <laughs> warriors who work for Klingon public transit? Hey, we'll get to the their lower decks yes, later this later. season. <laughs> uh, yeah, I suppose. Uh, no, I, I, I really like this episode. I'm willing to let go of the small things. I, I, the references scattered hilariously appropriately, and just the the final everyone together at that little bar where Kirk and Spock were when they couldn't get into the big party, and everyone just in like the crew enjoying themselves together. I just I was genuinely heartwarmed. I miss relating to crews like this like i haven't felt this attached to a starfleet Mm -hmm. crew since deep space nine and this cartoon has pulled it off or numerous live action projects since then have have not i agree way better okay episode six the spy humongous uh written or directed by bob suarez written by john cochran now this one is uh i i think this is four plots going at once you've got captain freeman and uh, Shaxx down on the planet trying to negotiate a ceasefire with the Packleds. There's a Packled refugee on the ship that's being escorted around by Ransom and Lieutenant Kayshawn. You've got Rutherford, Tendi, and Mariner going around the ship collecting the senior staff's discarded anomalies. treasures. Yeah, anomalies. And then you've got Boimler joining a group that calls themselves the Red Shirts, who use their their leadership skills to help each other get ahead in Starfleet. And uh, it's it's there's a lot going on in the episode, and it's I, this is what I found through a lot of this season. There was always one or two plots that I really enjoyed, and then a few that didn't quite work for me. And this is like a prime example of it. Like I really liked Boimler and the Red Shirts. I wasn't that into the anomaly collecting. And I was the exact opposite. <laughs> well, tell us why. <laughs> well, uh, also, let's not forget this episode is much more important than we realized at the time. Yes. Yeah, we find out at the very end that the uh, uh, there's a plan of the Packlets to put a Veruvian bomb on Earth. Mm-hmm. See, I loved the um, Anomaly Consolidation Day. Every bloody thing they touched screwed up somehow it's called dangerous science trash actually <laughs> i mean it lines like among, who among us has not been pooped out of an alien creature <laughs> i mean we've seen that throughout the series too yes and then my favorite was the last one when they prank call armis i mean who thought of that <laughs> i'm gonna that go with fabulous. the sin yeah. of evil from that killed tasha Mike Mah- McMahon, definitely. definitely Mike McMahon, that, for yeah, sure. That was him. That, yeah. <laughs> but, but I know what you mean. Like the yeah, but the all the crazy stuff 
this is a very lower decks thing is what happens to all the insane right. alien artifacts that they trip over. It turns out a lot of the bridge crew just leave them lying around their quarters until it's time for some poor ensign to try to find a way to store it. And let's not forget the fact that these people, the, the Boimler thread, these people call themselves the red shirts because it makes <laughs> them sound invincible. And I have to rewind that. Great line. Yeah. Uh, I, I really like the voice of uh, the, the lead red shirt uh, that uh, helped make that plot uh, more entertaining for me, but also just the idea of them working together to get uh, ahead and sort of being mean to the rest of the lower decks or like presenting themselves as above the lower decks. But the, the piece de resistance of that plot was that the Tendi takes one of these anomalies and becomes this monster and it's destroying 10 forward or their version of 10 forward. And the red shirts arrive to, to save the day, but they are just doing it through like dueling uh, speeches. speeches. They're inspiring. <laughs> it was so good. Them talking over each other and, destroying their point and actually not accomplishing anything. And Boimler saves the day. Oh, good old Boimler. Did anyone else notice that this is when I look at the end of that episode and Ransom's like, yeah, whatever, Red Shirt, you take the acting captain thing. Mr. Boimler, good job today. Yes. And I guess it's sort of like, hey, wait a minute, because Ransom's only been like a musclehead joke up until now. But looking back from here, I'm starting to think like, Ransom maybe isn't as bad as we think he is. And I think this comes up more and more in episodes following this one. But if it turns out that Ransom maybe is kind of an okay commander. Honestly, Ransom won me over in the, the episode uh, in the first season where he and uh, Mariner are sort of fighting over. Oh, the crystals. Yeah. yeah. He, has fight, um, he has to fight the giant alien and he does a Kirk style. Yeah. yeah Kirk Fu. I thought that was great. That was great, but he's like, he, I feel like he's been, like, especially since Mariner and Freeman have gotten closer towards the end of season one, he's sort of presented as like the toady. <laughs> he's sort of like the captain's yes man. Like, remember when he turns into a god, his motivation is, is like, you don't love me enough. Well, yeah. I, he's, his thing is the captain pays more attention to her daughter than does to her number one. Yeah, which is, you know, it kind of makes him, like, like that's a, that is a weak character trait. Like, you know, he needs a, like, he's a grown man, but he needs this attention. Yeah. Uh, I felt like, like, like he was kind of a joke. And then this episode sort of made me start thinking about him differently. Well, they did manage to lose the pack led spy on the ship the, the, in the same <laughs> yes. episode. But they Him. did manage to uncover the fact that they were going to smuggle the, um, the Veruvian bomb. Yes. Well, through, through no help of ransoms, but yeah. No. <laughs> yeah. And I love that they refer to it as Picard-level peace brokering. Yes. Yes, I did enjoy that, too. And don't forget, they also kept referring to Captain Freeman as Captain Janeway. Yes. Everybody in Star Trek, as presented by Lower Decks, has watched Star Trek. It's a, it, it, it should be weird, but they do it well enough that it fits and it's okay. Yeah, it's one of those things. But because it's a comedy, it's fine. Like they did the same thing in in you know Picard and Discovery, as they all and in Voyager as well. They only refer to things that have happened on screen, you know. Uh, and it, it it bumped me in Voyager a couple of times where they're like, "Oh, it's like this time on the Enterprise. It's like this time on you know," and and you're like, "Okay, come on." Uh, but in this show, it's it's the 
it's played for comedy and it works out a lot better. I think, I feel like, I feel like they could just start throwing in references to stuff that hasn't appeared on camera and we would, we, then we'd all start looking for them. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but Star Trek fans are the kind of fans who would call them out on that. That's yeah. true. There's going to be a lot of, well, actually, engineering wasn't located on that deck at the time, you know, that kind of stuff. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, Spy Humongous. This was a good one. Liked it. Red shirts were funny. Uh, Scorpion Tendi, a little much, but Traumatized Tendi was a really fun performance. And Prank Calling Armist, hilarious way to wrap it up. Yeah. Yes. Uh, so the next episode, episode seven, is Where Pleasant Fountains Lie, directed by Jason Zurich and written by Garrick Bernard. Uh, this has two plots. The, I guess, A plot is that uh, Mariner and Boimler have to return a malevolent AI or take a malevolent AI to the Daystrom Institute. And it's delightfully voiced by Jeffrey Combs and they get stuck on a planet. And it seems as though the AI Agamus is slowly... Uh, Poisoning Boimler against Mariner. Yeah, uh, but then it turns out Boimler was all right all along, and he tricked Agamus. Uh, The B-plot involves the chief engineer, Billups, encountering, like, the ship encounters his family, which they're from a planet of Renaissance-themed cosplayers, (laughs) basically. And we were talking about the gangster planet. This is the Renaissance Fair planet. This is the Renaissance planet. Yeah. I called it the Arthurian planet. <laughs> and That's far more elegant than it deserves. <laughs> <laughs> and so he, it turns out that he's the royal prince and is in line to become the king. And he refuses to do that. He's, he's abandoned that whole life in order to be a, the chief engineer, which is what he really wants. And that's all okay. But if he ever has sex, that will automatically make him the king. So he's, he's, uh, asexual he has uh, avoided any sort of sex or any interest in sex uh up until this point and then he thinks his mother is dead and so he's like well i gotta do this i gotta take one for the team and then it turns out it was just a trick it was just a one in a long line of tricks his mother has played to try and get him to have sex so he can become the the king and uh and rutherford saves the day and stops <laughs> Well, and Tindy saves the day too because she scans for Rutherford's uh, That's true. implant and figures out he's alive. Figures yeah. out he's alive, goes to find him, and then Rutherford puts two and two together. Yeah, and yeah. then Rutherford comes running over to, to find him and starts yelling, Where's Billups? Did his kingdom come? Come here. Yeah. <laughs> That was, I mean, I think that was the joke they were writing to. Like, I feel like they went <laughs> yes. backwards. The whole episode that. built to that? Yeah. This yeah. really feels like, and you know, I, the the whole buildup of all the sex jokes again feels a little out of place and a little much. In this was over Star the top. Trek. It was but just too over the top. I hear you, and I enjoyed I, I enjoyed it on its level, but I I respect that it's over the top. But it also feels like this character could become the Loxana Troy of the series, where oh, once clearly what was intended, yeah, yeah, once a season she's going to show up and try and trick her son into shenanigans. And I gotta say, like Paul Shear as as Engineer Billups is like is out of the spotlight a lot of the time, and he's great. Well, he, and I, the here's the thing that makes all of this even weirder: his wife is his doing wife plays his mother. His mother. Yeah. <laughs> I'm sorry, what was that? Uh, Paul Shear, who does Billups' voice, is married to June Diane Raphael, who play, does the voice of his mother. In okay, show. that's just creepy. <laughs> <laughs> 
Well, uh, and speaking of voices, though, Jeffrey Coombs, I will. He gives a speech that I will hold up there with Khan's whole thing about the moon to <laughs> Jupiter. When he starts screaming, "This planet, nay, this system will be mine. I will produce a whole fleet of murder drones." <laughs> it was fabulous, oh, especially because of the turnaround. Then, right, and then Boimler like, "Nope, you're only plugged into the dimmer switch." To the dimmer switch, and, <laughs> and Cobb's just like, "I'll, I'll blind you." <laughs> just turning the light on and off. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> And Jesse, you pointed out that last scene where they've got the whole wall of computers at the Daystrom, and one of them has the CBS logo. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, that was a fun one. They must have snuck by. Oh yeah, I, I, I wanted to kind of get the Billups and sex stuff out of the way. I do think it. I mean, inappropriate sounds like I'm. Like, it sounds like I'm one of those boomer parents who wanted explicit lyrics warnings on CDs. It's not that. It's just that I feel like it doesn't fit in Star Trek, but it was a fun enough plot and the Luxana thing was good. But Jeffrey Combs as Agonis, this was the highlight of this episode. Every word out of his mouth was a riot. Out of his uh, audio yeah. output? I don't know. His speaker, yeah. It's, I, I felt, I mean, again, it was, it was definitely a strong plot and a weak plot. Um, I I, th- I thought most of the bill up stuff worked. It was it's really for me. It was just the last gag. Everything up to the last gag was fine. You know what I'm saying? Like, it, did the, it have to be a threesome? <laughs> well, I I I thought that was actually couldn't it be the beautiful princess? I mean, I've noticed in this show when they're talking about sexuality, they've been very like it seems like all all these characters are kind of omnisexual. Like there yeah. isn't a like. You know, McMariner like doesn't seem to have any preference between gender or race or species. Like it's that uh, it's. I mean, uh, you know, I think I I think the mother in this case was hedging her bets. She was. Yeah. She was. Oh, I see. She, either way. <laughs> yeah. She was, she was just trying. She didn't know what was going to work in, in this case, and I, I don't know that. I, and uh, I don't think that, Billups knows. Yeah, I don't think Billups knows either. Well, and that that was the gag, right? As it turned out, neither of them were working. So (laughs) whatever he is into, like it might be warp cores. Or it might be Uh, nothing. He may just be asexual. He may just be ace. Totally fair. But but that compared to the fun of Boimler and Mariner and Agamus. Yeah. Just, oh god! We just you know, we could you know I like I could be plugged into the shuttle right now, and you know you could be eating tortilla chips or yes. guacamole. And they kept eating liquor. All they yeah. got is liquor. <laughs> and yeah. then they just smash cuts to them burying him in a hole. <laughs> I I also I I mean I liked the growth uh, the the Mariner uh, Boimler growth in this episode. Um, it feels like Mariner, you know, this one, this one got heightened because the, you know, of the stress. And I think that it worked, but I feel like the Mariner not trusting Boimler, like, you know, not trusting his abilities. Like that's all the way back to the first season with the Ferengi, right? Like it's, yeah. like, this feels, you know, it feels well executed, but it definitely felt like a bit of a rehash in terms of their growth in, until the final turn where, where it turns out he's totally got it. Sorted out. Yeah, I'll, I'll give that one a pass because it's a fake out. Yeah, the, what, but it what wasn't we a fake get... out the whole time. That's the thing, right? I don't think. I mean, I, I could know, be wrong. I I don't think that Boimler ever actually intended to trust Agamus. Like I like whatever. Like I mean, cl- I, clearly that's a decision he makes at some point to start play acting, and I guess we don't know for sure when that was. But I, I'm look like looking back at that episode. I'm confident that like he had it under control. 
and the, the like, whole and time. it's that yeah and it's that growth I and mean, they, they they sort of sum it up to like the growth he had while he was on the titan but just in general the experience he's picked up up until now and it's just that this is what it takes for mariner to see it okay, i remember that, like ransom has already seen it because he's already assigned boimler to the like the dangerous mission that she gets him out of it like so it's already there that's true we've seen it the audience has seen it uh as well that's I think the the reason it felt like the little disingenuous at the beginning was the, you know like that the audience has already seen his growth. Fair, but I didn't. I, I the, the execution of the plot was still fantastic. I just, this one was the other thing that um, I felt a little let down here is, is that we didn't get anything for the arc plot uh, in this episode. I, I was I was like I was craving it. Like we you know like you get this spy humongous like we sort of like. Packlet here at the beginning of the, the season, another packlet here, like a couple of episodes off, then the packlet again. Like it's growing, it's growing. I wanted, I wanted to continue with the um, the build. Yeah, see, you want to see the Titan, like how, like Boimler lays it out, right? Like epi- like serialized drama with mind blowing <laughs> right. twists that left me questioning my reality. Yes, <laughs> but that's clearly not what the Cerritos is. No, I know, but I mean, like, you're only doing nine episodes or ten episodes, right? Like, I, I, the arc plot was really working for me, so I just, I definitely wanted, I just wanted, like, one more reference. If you could do four plots in the other episode, you just put a little bit more in this one. Yeah, and, yeah, we wouldn't have missed more of the, the oh, my royal guards are trained to skip foreplay. Ha, 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 ha. Yeah, I could have okay. done with a less than, a little yeah, we could have just cut a little bit out of there and Absolutely. fit in a little more packlets. Yeah, sure. Or, or the other arc plot, like if you know the if there's if there's something else about the the um, about Rutherford's uh, implant, you know, there there could have been something yeah. else about Rutherford's implant included in this episode that you know hit that other arc plot, hit that other mystery box, you know, like that that was the only thing. This one felt like it could have come out of the season. Nothing changes. I I just I. Really, I mean, I know we've all agreed that the uh, the sex stuff was overdone, but I really enjoyed the concept of the the Renaissance Fair species, and and I would love love to see more of that. And like the 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 engine is dragon breath powered and whatever. I yeah, I those jokes were funny. Fun. Yeah, I wish I, they had leaned more into that. Absolutely, uh, the, I think the elf matrix is it. Don't do that. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> well, at least they gave the chief engineer some time. It's like giving Scotty an ep- an episode. Yeah, Jack the Ripper. Well, but at least the, you know we're we're going to meet Billups and see what he's all about. Yeah. 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 Too bad it's this. <laughs> so let's move on to the next episode, episode eight. I excretus, directed by Kim Arndt and written by Ann Kim. Uh, the short version of this is that an instructor, a Pandorian, comes to test the crew, and the lower decks will be doing the tests that would normally be done by the command staff, and the command crew would be doing will be doing lower decks roles, and everyone gets a chance to learn, uh, you know, why everyone else is important and and become better friends, and they keep failing their tests, and they think it's to make them closer as a, as a crew, but what it turns out is that the the person running the tests is just rigging it so that she looks more necessary and they have to throw her into real world trauma to show her that tests aren't 
the the be all end all. And uh, part of this is accomplished because Boimler is trying to perfect this Borg simulation, and because he hasn't completed it, they're still able to to do their missions without the test having fully completed. And uh, they save the day and she quits and everyone uh, learns something important about each other. And they get a senior officer food replicator and learn about the joys of pesto. Yes. And well, and don't forget every one of these simulations is from a previous episode. Yeah. A previous Star Trek episode. Well, since this has been the trend of our conversation, let's jump right into the naked time simulation where (laughs) it's just like a big orgy scene with everyone and uh, and how freaked out. And what's Mariner's her. reaction? I, our, I, it's the same as our reaction. <laughs> well, she is like, I, I rewatching it. I was paid attention and she's like kind of OK with it and maybe even intrigued by it until she sees Boimler, you know, spread eagle thing. Yeah, yeah. I was not going to be so <laughs> descriptive. Uh, but that's when she gets disgusted. And I think Shax also puts and her Shax, away. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, but yeah, so again, probably too much. Not even that funny a joke. Yeah, like, like there's no joke. The joke is that oh, it's funny because sex. Like that's yeah. it. That's the beginning and the end of it. Even if you were like, even if this was an like, even if it was a show that where sexuality would be appropriate, you have to have more than that. Um, yeah, yeah. I, I, yeah I, this it was too much. It didn't fit in. It didn't feel like Star Trek. It didn't feel right. Okay, and let's face it, the Bo- the Boimler Borg battles were great. Oh God, yeah, Boimler especially is like we're still sort of feeling like Boimler, like he's the silly, useless one. Him overcoming the Borg more and more completely, <laughs> and his dedication to like run the test again. Well, you know, if you do it again, you get a lower score again. <laughs> <laughs> and, and I think I mean, that's. Standing that, there with an armful of board babies and <laughs> board prisoner uh, drones behind. I mean, it was fabulous. And I, I do think that calls back to the, the beginning of the first season where he is trying to be the model Starfleet officer. And that's kind of gone away over the course of the series where he's just constantly screaming and overwhelmed by everything. But he this works like it's it. I do like the idea of him being the best at the simulation and him being a nerd like us where we're trying to get the best possible score in the video game by playing a level over and over again. There's there was a lot that felt right for the character there. Yeah, he's the audience's eyes here. If we were in Star Trek and we like every, maybe crazy news situations, I don't know, but the Borg, oh, we've seen all the Borg episodes. <laughs> Yeah. We know all this stuff about the Borg. We know about the babies in the drawer. We know how, you know, they can only, like, like we you know the frequency much. Like, we know all the Borg stuff. We've got. I mean, when he's tied down to the table and she, you know, breathes, the Borg Queen breathes on him and he looks at her and he's like, I'm human. I'm <laughs> and she's. Oh. And she's like, she's oh, God. Yeah, 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 you need to drink more water. <laughs> it was actually her, right? Like, yeah. they got her back to do the Borg Queen. So that the was original Borg hilarious. Yeah, there was one scene that would lasted, I think, like five seconds that I thought was so great. It was towards the end when they decide they're going to go on a real mission to scare the crap out of the instructor and they're getting sucked into the black hole. And then it flashes to the people in 10 forward who are just kind of sitting there looking out the view screen (laughs) and then it gets resolved and they go, oh, yeah, okay," And they go back to doing (laughs) what they were doing and then it goes flashes away again. Yeah, and it's don't like, you always wonder what everybody else on the ship is doing during those things? 
you have to imagine like in the in next generation they were encountering incredible ship uh endangering drama every week you yes. have to imagine that the daycare is just like all right let's just ignore it kids it's yeah, a red alert it's fine window. yeah <laughs> go back to coloring yes now let's not skip over the other tests which are like also a ton of fun attendee with the medical ethics test with the Klingon. <laughs> yeah that was I, so good i broke my back picking up a peanut kill me <laughs> And it's just like calling back to that kind of a problematic episode of Next Generation that we've talked about before. I think it's a great episode of Next Generation. It's a good episode. But yeah, the question is, does like, is it the right decision at the end? It's it's hard to say. Yeah. Well, you know, we we, you know, uh, there's definitely been a growth in in the the popularity of of popularity the acceptance of of uh doctor suicide. suicide yeah so but, but Worf doesn't do that he takes the experimental surgery and it doesn't work and he dies on the table but then his other klingon organs kick in and he's oh, he survives so yeah 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 they sci-fi the needle magic, in that one yeah sci-fi magic saves the day and and in, in the end but i think you know that episode aside the 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 fact that they put it in front of tandy to to figure out <laughs> the answer and then are trying to kill him on the floor and he lives which is the gag i i thought that was brilliant yeah time uh, of life yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> thoroughly brilliant there was a the cowboy episode as well which was a reference to original series uh and the gag is there is she can't ride the horse and then the re- return to that gag is that uh, uh, the 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 test the tester didn't actually modify that one. She just sucks at riding horses, <laughs> which is fantastic because Mariner is great at everything, and she can't. Two ride years a horse. of lessons. Yeah. <laughs> Classic <laughs> mom line. Klingon, yeah. The Klingon encounter has the bridge crew being told to stack crates. Yeah. And it drives them crazy that they can't help. And I think that the fact that uh, the, they had switched places, the bridge crew and the lower decks crew learned to appreciate each other more. Yeah, and the, there's another good cat moment where they're sleeping in the, the lower decks hallway bunks and Ta'ana crawls into bed with Shax and was like yeah. sleeping on his legs. That was pretty yeah. fun. <laughs> yeah. Well, I thoroughly enjoyed her falling out of the, the bunk and just, ah, what the fuck? <laughs> Excuse my French. <laughs> uh, that was... That I, I, you know, it's it's just an expletive, and it was just played for laughs, but I, it got a laugh for sure. <laughs> but it's, to, but Taana swearing when nobody else does, like, like that, like it works for that character. Oh, let's not forget how the show opens. That's an important point. Yeah, yeah where they leave oh. the lower decks beyond the satellite. And where they leave the stranded on the satellite. So <laughs> That's so funny. Off. And she says, okay, we have oxygen left. How much? You know, <laughs> a lot, a little ballpark. Right? <laughs> yeah. she, that was a really funny. And just her delivery is really good. And they're gone. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I mean, and that made them feel expendable. So it helped. Like that sort of was addressed by the fact that they learned what the bridge, how, you know, how to get along with the bridge crew, blah, blah, blah. Everybody learns to appreciate each other's positions more. Yeah. yeah Shaq's not being able to, like, they can't figure out how to stack the crates and Shaq gets it, like, he gets it wrong. He has them stacked with all the holes in the middle instead yes. of tilting them. <laughs> okay, should we move on? Yeah, yeah, we gotta. This was a good one, but yeah, we gotta move on. Okay, I don't know if I'm gonna pronounce this properly, but Wejduj 
It's uh, that's pretty close. Thank you. <laughs> Mike Klingon's Rusty, uh, directed by Bob Suarez and uh, written by Catherine Lynn. This is an episode that explores the lower decks on a uh, Vulcan ship and a Klingon ship while also continually going back to our Cerritos ship. And there are different plots going in on each one that seem very disparate, but all end up tying together at the end where we learn that the, the Klingons have, or at least this one Klingon has been trying to help the Pakleds start a war with the, the Federation because the Klingon wants there to be more war and battle. And he, he thinks the Klingons are getting soft. Uh, the Vulcan plot is there's a, uh, I don't know, a Vulcan who keeps breaking procedure and getting out of line and they do it in the very calm and reserved Vulcan way. Uh, but it, she still becomes an outcast to, to her people. And, uh, there and Boimler and on, on uh, the Cerritos, everyone is, uh, they've got 12 hours of basically there's no work to do. So everyone's just relaxing and doing the shore leave type stuff on the ship. And everyone's hanging out with a, a bridge crew member and Boimler can't find anyone to hang out with until he runs into ransom and, and lies about being Hawaiian to, to be part of his crew to fit in. Yes. This yeah. is actually a really clever episode. All of these threads were meaningful and they all tie together in the end. It was so well done. It was incredible. Just yeah. just the Cerrito stuff on its own, the, like everybody having a bridge buddy except Boimler, that's an episode. They could have done that for 25 minutes, yeah, and I, I would have laughed. But I wanted having, 44 minutes of this episode and the yeah. next episode. I wanted uh, yeah. both of these to be... But cool. having the, like, setting up... I mean, the, like, the Vulcan is Vulcan Mariner, clearly, and the Klingon is Klingon Boimler, <laughs> which is astounding. Like, that character was a riot. Uh, all like they did so much and they introduced so many new things. Like I can't believe it was only 20 minutes and all of it was hilarious. The, the Vulcan, like what a Vulcan Mariner looks like. I mean, at the end, at the end, it's like, well, you're, you're not Vulcan enough. Like you're impulsive and you're emotional. And so ways. Yeah. And we're sending you to Starfleet. And the line, I think is something like captain. I ask you to reconsider. I do not believe this punishment to be warranted. And he says, that is exactly the kind of outburst that has led you. To this. <laughs> <laughs> but because of her hot headed ways, she figured out how to find what was happening. With right. The yeah. Cause she's, cause she's Mariner, but yeah. the equipment, Equivalent, right? Mariner who is punching people and screaming and blowing things up. The Vulcan equivalent of that is her politely disagreeing with the captain. <laughs> As that gag, yeah. it gets better and better every time it happens. It's a, that was unbelievable. And then the suck up Klingon, Ma. <laughs> Except he ends up killing the captain and becoming the I mean... Well, it is a Klingon ship. Yeah. That fight scene was fantastic. I, I was, I'm not like a fight scene guy as much as I, as I may have used to be in my, you know, in my youth. But that was really well animated. And, and when he stabs the captain and the captain has that weird weak laugh before dying. So good. And there were some really hilarious lines when the Packlets complained about the fact the bomb wasn't working anymore. Yeah. <laughs> and they were going on screen, it's yeah. a bomb, you can only use it once. 
and uh, with, with the Klingons are bear, like, it's like, like, oh, it's logical. What are you, a Vulcan now? And he gives the Vulcan salute and he says, avoid death and cower. <laughs> <laughs> and then when the red alert sounds and you see all of the crew running out of the holodecks and they're in all these weird <laughs> costumes. Well, and the I, red I alert. I enjoyed that too, yeah. The red alert on the Packlet ship is red alarm. <laughs> yes. Yeah. And their oh, ships good. are called club ships. I love that. <laughs> Yeah, this was definitely a standout episode. Really and the enjoyed. Final it. scene that of the lower decks in a board cube. Yes, <laughs> great gag. And, and we all watched it right to the end, right? Yes. Just in yes. case something happened. Yeah, of course we did. Okay, yeah, yes. yeah. This contender for best episode of the show so far. Yes. Um, th- this uh, both on a technical level because of and how writing. much they were able to pull off, but also just it was it was a Star Trek. It was an episode of Star Trek, one hundred percent, and it was also hilarious. Okay, so two things I learned about this episode: the character of Talyn is based on the writer's cosplay character. She's she's. Yeah, Catherine that. Lynn yeah. cosplayed as Talyn and now got a chance to write her character into the show, basically living my best life. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And the character, I mean, I, I think we all assume she's going to end up on Cerritos, Talyn, and Mike McMahon says that she is going to be in the next season, but he didn't say, she, he said that at least to start with, she won't be on the Cerritos. So there we go. So we know she's she's in the next season. She's this wasn't just a one off character. Okay, which is great. I mean, I'm hoping we see more Maak as well. Right, because yeah, he's captain. the captain. Yeah. Oh, by the way, the title translates to into three ships. Um, right, we should have mentioned that. Yes. Um, the uh, the Vulcan captain is played by uh, Mark Evan Jackson of uh brooklyn 99 and uh the good, good place, place fame yeah he's so funny yeah sparks uh, nevada if you listen to the thrilling adventure hour podcast yeah yeah exactly he's he's um he's really good uh colton dunn i thought he was the the captain door the voice acting was was pretty good i was and this was an opportunity to just to bring in other people, like you could have brought in other other old Klingon actors, you know, see if you could find anybody who wanted to play Klingon again. This was an opportunity I thought maybe missed, but oh well. I mean, if they're going to bring back J.G. Herchler or something, I'm going to want him to play Martok. Like, I don't want them wasting that on a one-off character, you know? Like, there's well, still opportunities for some of these big names to show up again. Yeah, I guess so. I, I would love to get Robert O'Reilly back in some capacity, the guy who played Gowron, because Gowron is the best. He's yes. such a great Klingon and such a great over-the-top performance. And the way that that actor looks, he, he looks like an accountant, which he played in uh, the the uh, Casino Heist episode of uh, Deep Space Nine. And and that's why putting all that makeup on him makes him an awesome Klingon. But he's got a great voice, and he he would be great to bring to play a bunch of different characters on on Lower Decks. I think. Yeah, there we go. I'm the I'm his new talent rep. I'm trying to get him work. <laughs> yeah, McMahon, if you're listening, yeah, that's that would a, be great. a good idea. <laughs> Yeah, um, yeah. I don't think we have a single negative thing to say about this episode. No. This was this was great television. Yeah, absolutely. Okay, so the uh, season finale is called First First Contact. The uh, Cerritos is paired with the USS Archimedes under Captain Sonia Gomez, who we will be talking about a lot, I imagine. 
And this is going to be the first first contact mission for the Cerritos. They're going to support Sonia Gomez, but they're 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 going to be a part of it. Captain Freeman is very excited to be part of this on the space station where they're they're getting their mission. Mariner overhears that uh, Captain Freeman's getting a promotion and will be leaving the Cerritos and she's all upset about it and kind of gets the bridge crew worked up about it, too. The uh, first contact mission goes awry. There's a sci-fi techno babble thing and the the ship powers down and the Cerritos has to go in and rescue it, but they have to make sure that none of their electrified uh, hull touches at these, the anomaly. And so they have to take all the hull platings off and, and uh, they get past it and they save the, the ship at the last second. There's a lot of drama and tension as you think people are dying and everyone manages to survive. They do a very good job of, of, teasing out possible deaths and, and not having it happen. And then the big twist at the end is that Freeman uh, doesn't end up getting the promotion, but she gets arrested because of a Ruvian bomb detonated on the Pakalit planet. And she is uh, implicated as the person who did it. And now she's in collusion she's, with the Klingons, right? In collusion with the Klingons. Now she's arrested and we end with a to be continued. This was a fabulous episode. Directed by Jason Zurich and written by Mike McMahon. And yes, I agree. Also a fabulous episode. Great drama, but also still really funny. Did you think, is it just me, or did you think the animation was a step up for this episode? The Archimedes looked gorgeous. Oh, God. I mean, what a beautiful design ship. Um, I, I think the budget for this episode was up there. Just, just like if you look at season one, the last episode, like with a pack-led space fight and a Titan getting introduced, they, they had a lot more to draw with. Uh, it, for sure, literally and figuratively. <laughs> yeah, it's not unusual for for season finales. I, I think in some ways they they will skim on earlier episodes. This is just from other Star Trek series. They will make other episodes cheaper so that they can put budget bigger budget into the finale, so it's a bigger deal. And that, that's probably what happened here. Yeah, but I mean, but yeah, that like the Archimedes has a genuine like it's not played for laughs. It's a genuine starship porn shot, yeah. which you know, like like in season one, like they made fun of that in the Cerritos movie episode. This is a genuine look at our beautiful new ship oh, and yeah. look how cool it is. Yeah. And I've mentioned on before on the show, I am perhaps unexplainably attracted to the Excelsior class. So seeing a 24th century like update of it, this they're calling it the Obena class, uh, gorgeous, gorgeous starship design. Loved it. I mean, like the Cerritos is goofy and funny and that's our hero ship, but man, that, that was a very pretty ship. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, there's lots, lots of ships in the, in the end sequence too, to, to take a look at. Um, yeah. Another parliament class shows up. There's a Nova in there. Yeah. There's a, I think a couple that we haven't really been able to identify. Yeah, I think so. Um, this was fantastic. Do you want to start with Selena Gomez here? <laughs> Not Selena Gomez, Sonia Gomez. Sorry. Oh, so- I was thinking, oh my God, was Selena Gomez here? <laughs> Sorry, I've been watching Only Murders in the Building, which is Fabulous fantastic show, as well. Yes. I'm only uh, on episode two. Let's oh, not so get good. ahead of ourselves. <laughs> well, it's fabulous. Okay, back to the so, show. Yes. So- Sonia <laughs> Gomez, I, the voice was bugging me. The voice was bugging me. I couldn't figure I had to go look it up. And Sonia Gomez, a two-episode like recurring character and ensign from Star Trek The Next Generation, who in the intervening years has you know, ranked up and gotten captain of her own ship, and they brought back the original actress and everything. Uh, 
And there's a like a throwaway gag that I didn't get because I didn't recognize her at the time, where an ensign on her bridge trips and falls over, and Gomez says, "Don't worry, I've done way more embarrassing things in front of way more intimidating captains." Yeah, you know, alluding to like you know when she spilled the, the hot chocolate oh, all over Captain Picard. Yeah. yeah, great. Like doesn't have the same star power as Jonathan Frake's sudden, you know, climactic arrival, sure, but great for lower decks because she's exactly like what the end goal for the lower decks are, right? She was a nobody, she was an ensign, she was clumsy and not going anywhere, and now she's become a captain. Yeah. What a cool idea to bring that onto the show for the other characters still. And I don't think they even really notice. It's for us in the audience. It's totally for us. But like it was like, like so what a cool thing to drop in there. Yeah, well, it's it got compared by I think Trek Core on Twitter. They were like they they had seen the episode before it aired and they didn't spoil it, but they said there's a cameo in this that may be a deeper cut than the Zon reference from the end of season one. And Zon was <laughs> an unused character from Star Trek Phase Two, the TV show that never happened. He was a replacement Spock, and but this is is a two-episode ensign from uh, the second season of Next Generation. Very nice touch. I really enjoyed that, too. The the One of the things that I, I, I thought this episode could have been 40, 44 minutes, no problem. There was so much happening. They somehow managed to make it feel like it wasn't crammed in, but uh, the sequence with Cetacean Ops... Fantastic. <laughs> so Where Boimler, did that come from? Cetacean Ops. Did I miss it? Like, was it in a previous episode? In in Next Generation, they like they allude. I don't think they even mention it, but it's on the maps of the ship. I think yeah. there's one episode where you hear on the the like the computer announces something about Cetacean Ops. So it did get yeah. mentioned on screen at least once. Yeah. So and the they, idea, like, inspired by the by whales by Star Trek Four. That these, you know, that, 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 you know, sea life, uh, aquatic life are like, are intelligent. And at some point they have joined Starfleet. So we've been figuring out how to talk to them. When they pull Boimler out, the whales start screaming, don't let him dry out. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, That they're they're totally in their own world and they're totally able to sort of, they talk to them. They're having a whole conversations and those conversations are hilarious. Um, I thought the drama of that sequence was really good. And the other reference to the tech manual, uh, when they're looking for the secret room for Rutherford and Tendi, they mentioned the rubber duck room. Yeah, what is, is the rubber ducky room? That's a reference, another reference to the, <laughs> the tech manual and the actual layout that's shown in, like when you're looking, when you're in um, in engineering of the next gen um, and you see the layout of uh, the, the profile of the ship, one, there is a rubber duck in there and you, it, and it's also in the tech manual and it's never referred to. And it's just a gag that the, the designers put yeah, in. Like Okuda probably drew it in at some point and chuckled to himself. I and made a note to life. look it up and I never got to it. <laughs> the rubber ducky By the way, we should be mentioning that issue about when Rutherford purges his excess memories of Tendi. And then suddenly we see a mysterious flash of these doctors in shadow operating on him. And one of them says, what if someone asks why he has it? We have programmed that in. He'll think it was elective. And then later Rutherford says, I think I remembered something I wasn't supposed to. Yeah. Yeah. There's something up with his implant, which I mean, yeah, like the, the to be continued with Freeman isn't the only sort of bread they've dropped. They've left a few things to, to make us thirsty for season three. (laughs) Yeah. 
What do you yeah. think? Does anybody have any ideas on what that's about? Well, I had kind of half thought that maybe he is also a a sleeper agent. He's Ooh. actually the sleeper agent that that uh, they thought Mariner was. Yeah, that <laughs> they thought Mariner where, was. Where did they think Freeman is? Maybe he did something with the Veruvian bomb. Yeah, ah. possible. Although he was, the bomb went off. The like we know where the bomb is. The bomb is with the pack lids. And then the bomb went off. Well, we know where Rutherford is when that happened, but he could have planted it, I guess, at some point. I mean, if we're spitting here, like, I'm going to say they're disconnected. Like, I think the thing is, like, for freeing Freeman is just going to be like the Packleds are idiots and blew themselves up on their planet. Yeah, this that sounds more um, like that Jordy episode where he was brainwashed to be an assassin. Yeah. yeah. Um, the, the, uh, the other thing I thought was interesting is uh, Tendy's earned a promotion. Uh, yes. in, at the end of this episode and uh, similar to the way the Boimler had earned a promotion at the end of the first uh, season. So I, I, I wonder um, whether she's going to leave, you know, the hallway where they're all staying or not, or they'll, they'll find a way to keep her there. But the other thought I had when I was thinking that thought was I really, I thought we were going to get, mirror not mirror uh the transporter trim boiler to show up again like oh. i thought there was gonna be a callback to that like it seems like the sort of thing that would get called back but the way probably it's probably gonna be next season it's yeah a, i guess uh, for me the the 10 episode season just feels so short yes. at the same time right well they jammed I, so much of it into each episode I mean, I agree with that from like a, a writing perspective. I think William Boimler, I, I think there's more of a role to play there. The problem is whenever you bring back the Titan, you also have to bring back Jonathan Frakes. And I bet that's expensive. Hmm. I mean, I'm not sure how expensive he is. Uh, I'm sure he's more expensive than Jack Quaid. Yeah, he's, uh, he's more expensive than not bringing him back for sure. But um, I guess, yeah, I... I, I I was thinking there's still there's still there's still meat on that bone, and I I, I was expecting it to show up. I what? wasn't expecting it to sit. I that be the last of the the transporter twin for the whole season. When it when it looked like Boimler was drowned, it, it I, in my head I was already right, like, oh okay, well they'll just bring William Boimler <laughs> in for next season. They've and already sacrificed right, himself okay, for the ship. Yeah. yeah. And then you've got attention of like a completely different Boimler, obviously more confident Boimler. He'll be bouncing off of Mariner, but then that all within seconds, he was revived and it wasn't an issue anymore. And back to what Jesse was saying about Dr. Tana being an original series doctor when yes. she gives Candy the promotion. And she says, my, oh, maybe my like favorite line. And, <laughs> and says, no, I don't know who the F that is. <laughs> it's like Spock. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the, like, the delivery on that is like, yeah, in this world where everyone seems to have watched Star Trek, Ta'ana is dismissive of everything that happened after the original, the original series, series yes. which itself is a meta reference to that kind of Trekker. Like there's the kind of person like for a long time, nobody liked Picard because he wasn't Kirk. Yeah. Yep. Like there are there are divisions like that in people like like us, like people who like, we weren't we aren't big on Voyager and we don't like disco. But. <laughs> that, that's a, that was a wonderful thing to throw in there and her the delivery was perfect <laughs> absolutely 
All right, team. Well, let's... we should do final thoughts. Yeah, uh, I I enjoyed the season. I'm ready for more. I feel like both seasons had a trend of getting better as they went along, especially like the last few episodes really being great. And that works out for them really well. Like if you're going to have a problem where there's a sort of inconsistency in the quality level of episodes, better to have the last episodes be really good because then, you know, you're coming back for for the next season. Uh, but yeah, I enjoyed it all in all. I, I I thought everything was great, except I still have a problem with the speed at which they, like the pacing is just so incredibly fast. It's almost like Aaron Sorkin-like. <laughs> and, um, and, or they're all drinking cases of Red Bull when they write this. I'm, I'm not sure. It just goes so fast. Well, I was just thinking, thinking it was like, this is the, like, why does it have to be so fast? Can't we have these be full half hours? I wish they were longer, you know, yeah, or just exactly Mandalorian it, you know, make it as long or short as <laughs> it has to be. It to be. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Exactly. You know, full 30 minutes or 20, 22 or 43 or whatever. Yeah, exactly. I guess, you know, it's hard to do that with animation and it's hard to do that with, with pro- a much smaller budget than the Mandalorian. Like that, you know, the Mandalorian has unlimited money, yeah, unlimited money. And you're right. The animation is a problem. It's, they talk in the extra features for season one that be like beginning to end to make an episode of lower decks. It takes like a year per episode. Like they make them concurrently, but there's a, like, there is a full year of effort to making each of those 20 minutes. So I yeah. guess at some point that you have to draw a line somewhere. Well, hopefully anyway, sorry. Uh, in any case, the final thoughts on season two, Dave, uh, great. I thought the. I mean, you know, I think we all agreed on the the tonal shift with the the extra sex is is perhaps a a misstep. But other than that, ten out of ten. I guess I'll cap it off by saying that um, that yeah, on the on the whole, I think season one was a stronger season. Uh, it might also benefit from the fact that it's still very new and it's a concept that's very like very much in my wheelhouse. Um, season two had some lower lows, but I'm excited with the direction the show is going, even though it's you know, it makes the joke about being more episodic than serialized. It's clearly going places. The characters are growing. And I think that it is very successfully outgrowing just like just like the, initially the joke is that it's Star Trek and it's funny. Now they're able to do that and they're pairing it with characters I care about and a story I'm interested in. So I'm. Even though, yeah, I think season one, I'll go back to watch more often than season two. I think season two has some great moments and is building up to something even cooler. Uh, and this is probably like, a, it's my favorite show on television right now, easily. Uh, it's up there as like one of my favorite Star Trek things, for sure. All right. Well, I mean, that's about as strong a recommendation as we can make. Uh Zinni, Dave, thank you so much for joining us. It, uh, I think Graham and I sometimes fall into the, especially when it's things we love, we fall into the trap of just gushing a bit. So it's good to bounce <laughs> these off of other perspectives. So Zinni, thanks so much for coming on. It was a on. pleasure. And Dave, as always, thank you. Good night. And while we're giving out thanks, I would be remiss not to mention Oliver Wickham, the guy behind our theme song. He's got a ton of cool stuff up on Spotify, so please go and check him out. It is absolutely worth your time. And uh, thank you. Uh, we know that the, the Trekkers in our audience are some of our loudest and most contributing members, and that is, works out really well for Graham and me because Trek is near to our hearts as well. Um, if you had any thoughts about stuff in Season 2 of Lower Decks that we missed, anything you disagree with, or just general trekkiness, like we, we 
I look forward to getting more of that in our lives. Graham, how can they get that to us? Please email us at geektop5 at gmail.com. We're on Facebook, facebook.com slash geektop5. We're at geektop5 on Twitter. And you can also go to geektop5.com and leave comments on every episode that we post there. And please also feel free to go to your podcatcher of choice and rate and review us. Those ratings and reviews, super important for us, um, both because you know, we just we love that praise, but also <laughs> it's, it's a great way to indicate sort of where the show is being listened to and how and what you're interested in. Um, you want to make the show better for you, uh, then you let us know what you're looking for that way, essentially. Just take a couple of seconds out of your day. It might make a huge difference for all of us in the future. Uh, Star Trek Lower Deck Season 2. If you've somehow made it through this podcast and you haven't seen it yet, I, just what's wrong with you? <laughs> uh, it's available on Crave up in Canada, unfortunately, it's, which is not an awesome streaming service, but it's there. Uh, it's Paramount Plus down in the States, and it's airing like on TV in other parts of the world. You can find it if you're looking for it. All 10 seasons of Episode 2 are available now. Plenty enough to keep you busy until we get a chance to do this again. Until then, I'm Jesse. I'm Graham. And this has been Geek Top 5. We'll talk to you again next week.